Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Excited about what God would speak to you today. It is the beginning of fall break. Isn't it amazing how quickly time flies for our Cherokee County and Cobb County? And so, uh, but we are here in the third week of September, and uh, it's been really, really good this month. Has has anybody been blessed by the teaching of God's word? I was deeply encouraged in my own time in the word this month, and what the Lord has just been sowing into my life. And Pastor Chad, then of course, uh, uh, transitioning and, and I guess continuing our series last week in part number two. And we're talking about meeting places, specifically four meeting places. The altar, then the altar moves to the tabernacle, the tabernacle moves to the temple, and then next week moves to the church. That's the church as your own body, the temple, but also when we corporately gather together as the corporate assembly. And so today my assignment is to share a message that we're just entitling the temple. And if you want to take out a a phone, uh, you can... Of course, scan the QR code if you want to follow along, or the version as well. And, uh, you know, version is a really great resource. We don't talk about that often, but it's a way you could also share. So if you have people in your life that are attempting to be discipled or mentored, you could send to them just that specific link each week of version, And uh, they can follow along in the scriptures and follow along with the message points as well. I have two passages I'm going to read in just a moment. But as I said, we... We come now to the story of, of King Solomon. This is David's son, and he's dedicating the temple that he's just built for God. In 1 Kings chapter 8, if you have a Bible, it is, it is really hard for us to appreciate what a magnificent, magnificent structure the temple really was. God had made Solomon really, really, really wealthy, and the temple that he built, built reflected that. Uh, It was huge. It took more than 150,000 laborers, more than eight years to construct it. So one and a half times um, Mercedes-Benz Stadium of people, eight years nonstop to construct one single structure, okay? Everything in the temple was layered in gold. According to 1 Chronicles, Solomon used more than 4,000 tons of gold and 40,000 tons of silver. And so the price of what he used in today's value would be at about, right there, say, about $160 trillion. I did not say billion. I did not say B. This is the most magnificent structure humans have ever known. $160 trillion in modern-day money. One scholar said the amount of gold that Solomon used in the temple was about 5% of the gold ever mined in the history of planet Earth. 5% of all gold ever mined, layered in the temple. As in, let me make that clear, of all the gold we've ever mined on earth, one twentieth was in one building, one place. And then there were these precious stones, marble and onyx and rubies and emeralds that were all over the walls. And then there were pillars. I mean, this thing had serious bling power. But the most awesome thing about this temple was when the glory of God in a thick, luminescent cloud descended upon it. God's glory descended on the priest in the people of God as they sought to minister. It was so bright, 
that the priest actually had to leave the temple. Let's read 1 Kings chapter 8. You'll see it on the screens as well. Then the priest brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put him beneath the wings of the cherubim. And the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and is carrying poles. And these poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place. And they're still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed at Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, Sinai, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came up out of Egypt. And when the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. Next slide. Notice that. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel the heads and the tribes and chiefs of the Israel families, and to bring up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. They could not perform their services because the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Turn with me to one more passage, Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to read verses 17 through 23. Exodus 33 verses 17 through 23. This is Ezekiel 33, I need Exodus 33. I'm going to need a Bible if I Exodus 33, verse 17 through 23. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses made a cry to God, and he said, Show me, please, show me your glory. There's a hunger, there's a cry. And then he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Notice this. God says, I'm going to proclaim my name when you ask for my glory. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said to Moses, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock the cleft of the rock, and so it shall be while my glory passes by that I, Moses, God says, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. Everybody say my back. But my face shall not be seen. Let's pray together. Father, open our eyes to glorious things through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, If I said to you the names Michael Jordan or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or LeBron James, you would think of greatness when it comes to basketball. If I said to you the names this morning Mickey Mantle or Reggie Jackson or Otis Nixon or Andrew Jones, you would think of greatness in terms of baseball. If I said to you the name 
Serena Williams. You would think of greatness when it comes to the tennis court. If I said the names to you, Jim Brown or Barry Sanders or Tom Brady, you would think of greatness on the gridiron. Because these are names, church, of people who have excelled in their fields and they have become noted for their awesome achievements. See, in America, we celebrate people who have climbed the ladder of what society would call success. We we pay homage to them. We pay big bucks to them. We ask for their autographs. We go to their events very early. We stay after their events really, really late. They capture our attention on the screens. We follow them on Twitter. We want to see what they're doing on Instagram. We love to see what city they find themselves. Because why? They have demonstrated in their particular craft that they are worthy of extra attention. They're worthy of other humans putting their focus on them. Now, the process of exalting a person for their achievement is to give that person glory. That's the process. That is to give them honor, to give them value based on who they are, and based on what they have done. And over and over and over and over and over again in the scriptures, we are called upon to glorify the glorious God. We're called to praise the glorious God. Because unlike the heroes you know, unlike the heroes you celebrate, and unlike the heroes you recognize, God is one of a kind. God is not like our other heroes. If there was a hall of fame for God, he would be the only one in it. Meaning he is in a class all by himself. Now, the word glory in Hebrew is the word kabod. And kabod means heavy or it means weighty. It literally, kabod, the, the word glory means weighty or heavy. Now, when I was younger, I remember when we used to see people who would excel, we would quickly say, man, that dude is heavy. That dude is heavy. And if they were really brilliant and they could use words that no one else knew, we would say, that dude is heavy. He is weighty. Another one we used to say is he has some juice on him. I know that that word heavy is not used as much these days as it was used those days. I guess the more contemporary word would be awesome. Man, that dude is awesome. In the other seat, something is awesome. Something is awe-inspiring, which means he is awesome. And the Bible says again over and over and over again that God actually has a nickname. Did you know God has a nickname? Now, you know what nicknames are, right? Nicknames are normally descriptions. We create a nickname for a person based on whatever idiosyncrasy we want to describe. So we call somebody slim because they're skinny. Even if it was only a certain season of their life they were skinny. Come on, praise God. We still call them, we still call them slim later in life. We call somebody red because they're ginger top. Right? They got red hair and so we call them red. If you want to give God a nickname, you call him glory. You look up to heaven and you just say, Glory. Because over and over and over and over and over again, that is the descriptive identification of God. It is glory. 
Look at Psalm 29 and verse 3. Psalm 29 and verse 3 says, The God of glory thunders. Notice, He is the God of glory. Psalm 8 and 1, notice, it says His glory is above the heavens. He said His glory in the heavens. Listen to me. Glory is the summary concept of the visible manifestation of the attributes of God. That's the glory. It is the summary concept of the visible manifestation of the attributes of God Himself. So when you say glory in relationship to God, you are referring to the awesomeness of His being. You are declaring authoritatively the awesomeness of His demonstrated attributes. And since every aspect of His being is perfect... Everything about him is therefore awesome, and everything about him is therefore glorious. So he is glorious in everything. Now, you know this is different for us as humans, right? Because when you glorify a person, you can, you can probably only glorify them in one or two areas. Because they ain't glorious in every area. There's not a human glorious in everything, right? You have some athletes who are real glorious in b- basketball, and they got to jump over here. They try and say, well, I'm glorious over here, so I might as well be glorious over there. And they find out real quickly in their second sport, they ain't as glorious in that sport as they were in this sport. Listen, for humans, I said humans, glory tends to vacillate up and down depending on what the human's doing. It goes up, it goes down. But with God, He is 100% all the time. Because all of his attributes, which again are the manifestation of his being, are in fact glorious. So if you want to call him something, the Bible just says call him glory. God's nickname is glory. Because why? Because this dude is heavy. God is awesome. He is awe-inspiring. He is awesome. He is weighty. And he's weighty in a very unique way. You say, Pastor Craig, why... Why is God's glory unique? I'm glad you asked. God's glory is unique because it is intrinsic. The glory of God is intrinsic. That is, God's glory is self-defined, it is self-initiated, and it is self-expressed. Let me say it this way. You don't have to give God glory for Him to be glorious. It's outside of your experience, subjectively, of His glory for Him to be glorious. He he does not have to develop into glory. See, listen, humans. Anybody else you know who has been honored for something had to arrive at that place of honor from a different place. They had to work to get to that place of honor. If they're glorious in their knowledge, if they're glorious in their brilliance, they didn't start there, friend. They started in kindergarten just like everybody else. And they learned their ABCs. And then they went to middle school and they learned their elementary equations. And then they went on to learn whatever it is they learned. They developed into their intelligence. When you find an awesome basketball player, they didn't just walk up on the court and be awesome at basketball. They practiced over year after year after year. And they got good at their craft. And they developed into this honorable position. Not so with God. He started off that way. And how he started, he had no room for improvement. 
And I can't use the word started because he never started. Because he's glorious from the time he ever existed, which has been forever. And so he's never been improved and never can be improved. He is absolute perfection. Now don't think about that too long. You'll you'll jump out a window because he's always existed. He's never started. But there is never a time that God has not been because, again, that is another dimension. You and I are living in time, so we can't appreciate that. The reason why God can't be in time is because he created time. You can't be in that or inside of that which you create. It has to stand outside the experience of the one who created it. So he is outside of time. He creates. God's glory, unlike humans, is intrinsic. He does not have to go outside of himself to help himself be glorious. Anything you're good at, anything I'm good at, you need something outside of you to help you to be good at it. God is so glorious that he does not have to go outside of himself to make himself better. God's weightiness, God's glory is intrinsic to his being. Let let me put it this way. Are you ready? God's weightiness, what what wet is to water, what blue is to sky, and what heat is to fire, glory is to God. So, So think about it this way. Water doesn't have to go find wet. Sky doesn't have to go around looking and locating blue. And fire doesn't have to have a match to be hot. It is intrinsic to the nature of what those elements are. In other words, you can't talk about fire and not talk about heat. You can't talk about sky and not talk about blue. And you can't talk about water and not talk about wet. They are intrinsically interconnected. You can't bring up the name God and not talk about glory. Glory is intrinsic to his very nature. Because it is part and parcel of his experience and of his perfections and every aspect of his being. All of the glory, friends, that men seek to pursue, seek to go after, is only ascribed glory. It's not intrinsic glory. And you know that, friends, because it don't last. It doesn't last for us humans. The fast runner will slow down over time. You remember 1992 Olympics and 96 Olympics, Michael Johnson, big, tall African-American, broke every record. He was my childhood hero. I still follow him on Twitter today. I don't know if he could run a, a 20-second 100-meter dash anymore. Right? But he's smart. But he, he, his, his speed has declined. The good-looking beauty queen is going to wrinkle. And to be honest with you, maybe even get a little ugly. The actor won't get the young parts over time. And the big proof that glory fades is that you are going to die. Your body is going to stop. It fades. Glory fades. That's why God hates pride, church. He hates pride because he says, you ain't all that in a bag of chips. Okay? You're going to fade. You are dependent. Listen to me. Are you ready? God is the only being in existence not dependent on something outside of himself to be himself, for he generates himself by himself within himself. 
I'm going to say it again. By the way, I'm not going anywhere else this morning other than talking about God's glory. So y'all want to hop on with me and get on the train? I ain't got no other points other than for you to leave this church this morning realizing that you have been robbing God of the glory He deserves. Robbing God of the intrinsic worship, the ascribed worship that His name deserves. God's the only being in existence, not dependent on something outside of himself to be himself. For he generates himself by himself within his own self. God's glory is the sum total of his whole attributes. Perfectly and intrinsically within himself. That's why he says, by the way, in Isaiah chapter 48 verse 11. Isaiah 48 verse 11. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? For I will not share my glory with another. I will not share my glory with another. Why? Because there's nobody to be compared to him. Which is why he is insulted when his glory is challenged. Either by picking up an idol or thinking you yourself are the idol. And today in America, we have American idols. God is glorious. And since his glory is intrinsic... He is independent unlike us. He's independent. Y'all, you take away our oxygen and we lose our glory. Right? You take away the food just for a month. You take away the food and we lose our glory. You take away our health and we lose our glory. God doesn't lose glory because he doesn't need anything outside of himself to be himself. That's not true of us. But what God has done, church, and this is exciting. What God has done is he has sought to manifest his glory. He has sought to manifest the demonstration of his attributes. And the temple tells us that. The temple was a place that after Israel becomes a monarchy, that is, they become a united nation in the promised land. They desire a king. God gives them a king. They become a monarchy. What was meant to be built in David's time would be built in his son's time, King Solomon, and the temple. Of course, we've had the first temple sacked, then we, and that was 550 B.C. Then we had the second temple sacked. The, Jesus actually cleared out the second temple in 70. He did it in 30 A.D., but it was sacked by Rome in 70 A.D., and now you see they're trying to build the third temple. And you get all kinds of, all kinds of Christians going crazy right now because of the sign, the prophetic sign of building the third temple and Jesus has come back. I just got news for you. The third temple is sitting in black chairs right now. Okay? I just want to make something real clear. The third temple ain't over there. The third temple is in this room. There's actually a lot of them. I've seen a lot of little temples all across the room. The, where the presence, the glory, the Shekinah of glory, God abides. It dwells. So it is the visible manifestation of the glorious attributes of God called glory. In other words, God wants to show the world just how great He really is. He wants to manifest His glory. Look what Psalm 19 says. Psalm 19 verse 1 through 6 it says, The heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. The heavens and the earth declare God's glory. They, they declare the glory, the attributes, the, the awesomeness of God. And notice that the psalmist said, all you have to do to see how good God is, is you got to wake up. And when you wake up, you need to look outside. And when you look outside, you will see how heavy God really is. How weighty, how awesome He is. You will discover just how awesome God is just by looking up. 
We call this general revelation in theology. God declaring or displaying His glory. Because the heavens, listen to me, and the earth are screaming God. They are declaring God, you are bad. You are awesome. You are heavy. Why? Because who, who else you know who can, who can create worlds like that? What other person in your life can speak words and worlds come into existence? They scream the glory of God. You know what we do though? You know what we do? The prized possession of God? The apex of His creation? We get hooked on the creation more than the Creator. The creation doesn't do that. Creation doesn't get hooked on itself. They glorify the one who made them. Even the rocks cry out, Jesus said. Even the trees declare and look for the manifestation of the children of God. We give glory to what the Creator made instead of the Creator who made it. Which is idolatry, by the way. That's idolatry. Let me explain. If God could let you see Him this morning. If He could let you see Him this morning. If you could see God at the nucleus of his being, that is the center of his being, the Bible tells you exactly what you would see. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, think about it for a moment. This is what you would see. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 says this. Who alone, speaking of God, is immortal? And who alone, God, lives in unapproachable light? Whom no one has seen, nor one can see. To him be glory, be honor, and dominion forever. Amen. Notice that. Leave that up there a moment. He alone is immortal and he alone lives in unapproachable light. So if you want to know where God lives and you want to know what God's makeup is this morning, he calls it unapproachable light. So when Psalm 19 says, the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God, he comes down, that is God, and he gives you an illustration. God gives you an illustration to help you out. He gives me an illustration to help me out. To understand God is glorious, he gives us the illustration of the sun. The sun. The sun, S-U-N, is God's illustration to you and to me of unapproachable light. Now, all throughout Scripture, God's described in terms of light over and over and over again. In fact, 1 John chapter 5 says God is light. It doesn't say He just got light coming from Him. He is light. God is light. So He created the sun. So let's talk about the sun for a moment. The sun is self-generating heated plasma. That's what the sun is. The sun is located... 93 million miles away from you and I where we sit this morning. The sunlight that touches us today travels 93 million miles in 8 minutes and 22 seconds. Traveled 186,000 miles per second. It hits your skin when you walk outside with enough horsepower for 450 million horsepower per square inch. It hits your skin so hard, your skin produces vitamin D on contact. It's 93 million miles away. If you were to take an airplane to the sun this afternoon, 
You went down to Hartsville-Jackson International Airport and you got on Delta, American Airlines, Southwest. And then you were able to fly to the sun. And you fly at 600 miles an hour. You're booking it. And you get on that plane and go towards the sun. It would take you 17 years on the airplane to get to the sun. If you drove. If you got in your Prius or your Corolla or your Tacoma and you drove 60 miles an hour 24-7, it would take you 204 years to get to the sun. And this sun is so big and so powerful that it heats the whole earth 93 million miles away. Now, if you tried to get close to the sun... If you tried to approach it on a plane or in your Prius, you would get 10 million miles away from it, and before you arrived, you'd be burnt to a crisp. You would evaporate in its presence. Why? Because it's unapproachable light. You can't get close to it. You can't even, you can't even look at it 93 million miles away without looking the rest of the day and seeing big old bright spots and everything you try to focus on. You can be close enough 93 million miles away to benefit from it, but the closer you get to it, the hotter things become. 1.8 million earths fit inside the sun. And God in heaven says, I made that with a word. I spoke that with a single word. I want to show you my glory, humans. I want to show you my magnificence, my weightiness. So every time you get up, dwelling place, and it's not dark outside, you know what God is speaking through your little bedroom window? God says, that is my glory on display for you today. Anybody wake up this morning and see sunshine? Or you got breath in your lungs? Or you got a body that has the capacity to walk, to listen? You got eyes that are ability to see? That's God advertising God. The glory is the advertisement of God through his attributes. In fact, he's so full of light. Everybody say light. That in Revelation 21, 23, we're going to inhabit a new city called downtown New Jerusalem. And in that new city where we'll live for eternity, you know what God's going to do? God says, I'm going to dismiss the sun one day. You know, that big self-generating ball of heated plasma. I'm going to dismiss that sun because I won't need you anymore, sun. In fact, notice what it says. The city does not need the sun. It doesn't need the moon to shine on it. For the, here's the word, glory, the kavod, the glory of God gives it light. And the lamp is its lamp. The Lamb of God is the light of God and the glory of God lights up the new city for all eternity. In fact, you want to really add some, some layers to this. In order for you and I to hang out there, God has to give you a new body because this body would burn up in His presence. This body would incinerate on, on contact. This body wouldn't make it a nanosecond in the presence of that unapproachable light. So God gives you a brand new made, body made in true righteousness and holiness. Every, bo- every believer gets a glorified body so you can handle the heat and you can handle the brightness of the glory of God. Now, when we talk about the Shekinah glory of God, and we talk about Shekinah in theology, We are talking about the glory of God now dwelling in the midst of men. That's the Shekinah. So the glory that filled the temple where the priest could minister was the Shekinah of God. 
The glory of God is now dwelling right in the midst of humans. So God's Shekinah, God's, we could say it this way, dwelling glory came down to the tabernacle that Pastor Chad preached out last week and it dwelt in it. The Shekinah then comes down in the temple and it dwells in it. And when God wanted to manifest his glory to mankind in terms that humans could understand, God said, will switch it up. And God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the second member of the triune Godhead. That's why John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God from the beginning. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. He moved into the neighborhood. And we have beheld His glory, what? The glory of the only one begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And John 1, 17 says, He was in the bosom of the Father, Jesus, and He's now made known to us who the Father is. Listen to me. Jesus has revealed God to us. Jesus Christ is the revelation of the glory of God in human form. And where the Shekinah of glory God fell on an altar, and the Shekinah glory of God fell in the tabernacle, and the Shekinah glory of God fell in the temple, the Shekinah glory of God then becomes expressed in the God-man, Jesus Christ. So if you wanted to see what God looks like in a body, Jesus Christ, the God-man, is the full manifestation of the glory of God. Listen to me, church. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He's perfect theology. He is the manifestation of God and His glorious nature. That's why in Matthew chapter 17, you remember the mountain of Tabor, Mount Tabor, what we call the mountain of transfiguration. What did Jesus do? He took Peter, James, and John, and he invited Peter, James, and John up on the mountain with him. And then what did he do? He called down Moses to represent the law. You remember this? And then he called down Elijah to represent the prophets. What? That represents the Old Testament. God was saying, I want you to see Jesus in the middle of the whole Testament. And he's got Moses on one side, and he's got Elijah on the other side. And then the Bible says the glory of God burst right through the body of Jesus so that the disciples had to hide their faces from the light. You know what Jesus did? My God, we need to, we need to see it this morning. Jesus Christ took the top of his zipper and he zipped down his humanity and for one split second he let everybody on the mountain see his deity. And when you see the deity of God, you are cataclysmically laying flat on your face when God's attributes gets expressed. They are, they are amazed at the glory of God. I want you to see it, actually. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a powerful, powerful statement for a very practical re- reason. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel that displays what? What does the gospel display? The glory of Christ. When you declare the gospel to another person on campus, when you do, in those words comes the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ comes through that confession to another person. They can't see the glory of Christ expressed through the gospel. Who is who? The image of God, the imago Dei. For what we preach, Paul says, not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And we preach ourselves as your servants. Watch this, for the sake of Jesus. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine. Made his light shine in our hearts 
to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's why when you got born again, you had no words to communicate to the people around you what was going on. It's because the glory of God was lighting up your inside. The glory of God is lighting up your heart. And where is God's glory found? God's glory comes in the face of the God-man, Jesus Christ. So the more you know Christ, the more you experience the glory. The more you interact with Christ, the more you interact with glory. Because the glory of God's where? It's in the face of Christ. You say, Craig, why does that matter? Look at verse 7. Why does it matter? Let's look at it. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We're jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and it's not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we aren't crushed. Notice he said, we are perplexed, but we aren't in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Look, look at the next verse, so powerful. Do you have the next verse? We're, we're struck down, but not destroyed. The text says in the next statement that, that this glory of God that is within us is more powerful, more resident, more engaging than even the pressures or circumstances outside of us. You know what he's saying? Paul was saying, yeah, life has its problems. Life has its challenges. Don't, don't, don't underestimate that life is difficult. But he says you have glory on the inside. Church, listen to me. When the glory inside is operating in you with the power of God, what's all happening on the outside no longer defines you because the glory you have on the inside is stronger than what's coming at you from the outside. And so what he's trying to say to you is the glory of God that is lit up in your heart is stronger than whatever comes on the outside. Whatever's happening on the outside, whatever circumstances come on the outside, he said we're persecuted but we are not abandoned. Why? Because the glory of God is inside of you. So folks, this is not a theoretical concept this morning. This is not us just preaching something that's theoretical. This is God's glory being manifested in Christ and it's Christ's glory that belongs to God being manifested in us as His power is expressed in and through our lives through His glory. Now, now here is the part that's going to cause a problem. Actually causes a real big problem. Isaiah 43, 7 says... We were created for His glory. That's the problem. Because most people don't define His glory. That's why they're here. So, so let's get this straight. God put mankind here on the earth in His image. Now, an image is a mirror. He put mankind here to reflect back to Him His glory. So watch this. God created man in His likeness and His image because God wanted to look at Himself in a mirror, in miniature form, every day. That's earthbound creatures. So he put you and he put me here to bounce back himself to himself. You are a mirror. You are the imago. You are the mirror of God to display or bounce back God's glory. So you were created for God's glory. Which means any man, woman, child, teenager, old, young alike who is not living for the glory of God does not know why they're here. They don't know why they're here. They have no understanding of why they have a body, why they live on the planet. So what men have done is men have come up with secular, 
self-centered definitions of purpose. Because they haven't started at the place of why they're here. They haven't started at the place of why they have life. You are here, I am here to bounce back God's glory. That's why Paul defines sin as the interruption of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Listen to me. Next slide. Sin is not falling short of your potential. Sin is falling short of the glory of God. It's not falling short of what is in your future. It is falling short of the glory of God because sin detracts from glory. Sin distracts people from God's glorious nature. So you and I have been created as divine advertisements. Because glory means to put on display. So you and I are God's ad agency. We know that in marketing terms. We are the ad agency of God. We are to be advertisements of the deity because that's why he made you. That's why he made me. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. Let's talk about that a minute. How common is it to eat? How common is it to drink? How regular and mundane is it to eat and to drink? It's mundane. Like we do it without even thinking about it. You drink Coke, then you drink tea, then you drink... I hope you don't do both of those in the same day. <laughs> then you drink water, then you drink coffee. Then what do you do? You eat, then you eat some dessert. Then you eat a snack in between the two meals. Then you eat the lunch. I mean, we just eat all day. We drink and we eat all day. It is mundane. If you're a college student, you eat 17,000 calories a day. Okay. If you're a young adult... It goes down to about 15,000 calories. All right? You eat. We, it's, just, it's just regular. It's mundane. We don't even think about it. Now, I want you to realize this. God says, I put you here to glorify me so much that you are to drink a glass of water in recognition of me. I was reading my Bible this week through 1 Corinthians 10, and I had a cup of water next to me, and I thought, how weird is it? That I just drink this water and think it's no big deal. It's so mundane. And God says, I'm supposed to be so much of the advertisement of God that I honor God by the way I grab the glass, pull it to my mouth, and swallow it. We are robbing God of the reflection we're called to live. We're to do it all for the glory of God. But that would make sense, right? Since you don't get water independent of him. Wouldn't it make sense that you are to drink for the glory of God since you don't get H2O? Unless God gives you H2O? In fact, can I just tell you real quick? You can't think of anything in your life you have that you didn't borrow from him. You can't think of one thing you possess that God did not give to you. That he did not loan unto your life. You say, wait a minute, Craig, that is too much. God has issues, dude. He is insecure. This whole, why is he fighting for glory so much? Like, why in the world does he want to see himself all the time? Why in the world does he want his own glory to be on display? Okay, okay, let's flip the script for a moment. Let's say God's glory was only available to you and me intermittently. Let's say that. Let's say he gave us oxygen just every now and then. He gave you, he gave you the ability to breathe just every now and again. 
He let it rain when it was just a, he was in a rain mood. Earth, you don't have to spin today. I ain't into all that. You ain't got to rotate. See, listen to me. Look at me, church. The reason God goes so underappreciated is because he's too consistent. He don't change. And because he don't change, people don't honor him as good. They don't recognize his glory. They think it's something he's supposed to do. They think it's something that they're entitled to. God's consistency causes him to go underappreciated. He's just really consistent. Can you imagine every morning for the last thousands of years there's been oxygen for humans to breathe? Every morning. It's oxygen. Oxygen. For thousands of years, the sun's shining every morning. Every morning. The earth's not spinning too fast that we don't get dizzy and fly off the ball. And the earth ain't going too slow that we can't, we can't survive. God is so consistent, folks. If God took a break, it's over. It's a wrap. We're finished. But because His mercies are new every day, and He is so consistent, what happens is we get used to it. We think, God, you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do that. See, you and I were put here for His glory, period. Now, there are benefits that come to us because of that, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is for His advertisement. And so Moses says, just like the priests say in the temple, Moses said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Say that with me. Say, show me your glory. Now, that's interesting, y'all. That's interesting. Wait a minute, Moses. You have already seen his glory. Moses, didn't you see God at the burning bush at Mount Horeb? Remember when the bush was being burned, but it didn't get consumed, and God began to speak to it and told you to take off your shoes because the place you're standing is holy ground, and God then commissioned your soul and commissioned your life to be a deliverer. Didn't you see... Wait a minute, Moses. God, haven't you already seen the glory of God? Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Moses. You saw God's glory with Pharaoh, didn't you? You remember, Moses, when you went to Egypt and you called down the ten plagues and God extended His mercy and His grace to the children of Israel where two million Israelites came up out of Egyptian bondage because the glory of God came down in the plagues? Hadn't you already... Wait a minute, Mo. You've already seen the glory of God. Didn't you... Mo, you surely saw... The, the, the glory of God with the Red Sea, right? You lifted up your staff and the water split from left to right. And not only did the water split from left to right, you made the, dry, the ground dry so that nothing gets stuck in the mud as the chariots go across it. You've already seen the glory of God. And you know what Moses says? Come on, Moses. You, you've already seen his glory. Moses is saying, listen, oh yeah, I saw him at the burning bush and he talked to me. Yeah, I saw him in Pharaoh and the ten plagues. Oh yeah, I saw his glory at the Red Sea when we went across on dry ground. But there's so much of him that I want to see some more. There's so much that I hadn't really tapped into that I want to engage. I want to go deeper. I want to go further. I want to see your glory. See, listen to me, church. The reason why we don't want to see more is because we haven't seen enough in the past or we forgot what we already saw. So we come to church every Sunday and got to be primed up again like we've already forgotten what God showed us for the last 36 years and how God has revealed His glory for the last moment and the last moment and the last moment. Anytime we don't want to see God's glory, it's because we hadn't seen enough already or we've forgotten what we've seen. And Moses said, you got to show me your glory, God. Listen to me, listen to me. Because when you've seen Him and He has more available, you want more. You long for more. Let me put it this way. God 
will only show you as much of his glory as you want to see. He'll only show you as much as you don't hunger. Because he only feeds hungry people. And because so many people are uninterested in his glory, he obliges them and they don't see more of it. Moses said, I want more, God. I want you to show me your glory. And we know what he was asking for because of God's response. You remember when he said, show me your glory? How do we know what he was specifically asking for? We know what he was asking for because God responds. You know what God says? You can't see my Moses said, I want to see your face. Where's the glory of God found now? In the, of Jesus. Moses said, I want to see it. I want to see your face, God. Moses was going for the face, and God says, I can't show you my face because it'll kill you. So here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to tuck you in the rock, and I'm going to let you see my back. Y'all, that is called in theology anthropomorphic language. You want to say that with me? Say anthropomorphic Anthropomorphic language means we are using human language to explain a deity. So God says, I can't show you my face, anthropomorphic language, but I'll let you see my hinder parts, anthropomorphic language. I can't let you see my front, but I'll let you see my back. And so what does he say? He says, Moses, I'm going to cover... I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and then I'm going to cover you in your face with my hand when my glory passes by. I'm going to declare my name to you, and then when I'm past you, I'm going to remove my hand, and when I remove my hand, you can see my back. You can see my back, and that's the only way you won't evaporate, Moses. If I let you see my glory, you're going to incinerate. Y'all, it's like when you look up in the sky and you see a plane, and you see a plane has passed by, but you don't see the plane, you only see the exhaust. When you look up in the sky and you see the exhaust, you know a plane is there and was there, not because you see it, but because of what was left behind. Okay? And I'm not here to debate no chemtrails or chemtrails or no chemtrails, okay? It's exhaust or whatever the case is, all right? So you know that plane was there, because not because you see the plane, but because you see what the plane left behind. God's saying, I can't let you see my face. I'll let you see my exhaust. So his face passes by, and then watch this, church. He removes his hand, and the back part of God he sees. You know what happened there? I'll tell you what happened there. When Moses saw the back part of God, that is what we call God's history. Moses picked up a pen and a piece of paper and wrote, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form, and the earth was void, and, and there was darkness upon the face of the deep. And God said, there, let there be light, and light came. And then God said, Let the team of the flesh and the was the birth of the earth. And then he said, Let us make man the kind in our own. And what did Moses do? He just began to write. He began to see the history of God. He began to write out the glory, the destiny, the purpose of God, the Torah, the Moses. God let him see his history. God let him see his past. Listen, when God shows up in his glory, you see things you have never seen before. You experience things you have never experienced before. And Moses said, show me your glory. I want to see your glory, God, on display. I am hungry for your glory. I want to see your glory. Confession. 
I like donuts. I don't like Dunkin' Donuts, but like Krispy Kreme Donuts. So we were on vacation this summer in Myrtle Beach, and I went by Krispy Kreme. Not once. I don't think twice. I think three times. And I went there one late afternoon, and I got a dozen donuts. Then I asked them for the second dozen, the cream-filled chocolate, not custard-filled chocolate. Creamfield chocolate. Then I had to get some chocolate covered by themselves. Then I had to get blueberry caked. You got to get some assorted blueberry caked. If you've ever had a sour cream donut caked donut, the sour cream's even better. And then you know what I did? I got back to the room. And I opened up that box of donuts and I went to that microwave. And I put those donuts in that microwave and heated them up. Usually if it's one donut, it's 8.2 to 8.3 seconds. You go any more? It's going to cotton candies, incinerate on you, but about eight seconds. Then you put two donuts in, and you go about 15 seconds, 16 seconds. Y'all, it was a sugar rush. But the problem occurred when it was time for dinner. Because, see, I bought the donuts too late in the afternoon. And because I had feasted on so much junk, by the time the healthy stuff was ready, I wasn't hungry. Let me tell you what society in America offers you today. What society in America offers you today is donuts. But see, they're donuts coked in sugar. And they're, they're, they're sweet to the taste. And they're so delightful to, to experience. So what we eat is, is what society has to offer. But when God finally comes with the real thing, we don't have an appetite anymore. We're not hungry for God. Our lives are too full of so much other stuff. We don't come in with contrition. We don't come in with a hunger and an interdependence and a dependency on God to say, God, I want to see your glory. I got to experience. And those in the temple, listen, were hungry to see the glory of God. I'm hungry, God, to see what makes you tick. I'm hungry, God, to have relationship with you. I'm hungry, God, to see you clearly. And God did Moses a special favor. Did you know God did Moses a special favor? He did. He, the Bible says Moses died. And so God hid him in the dirt where no one else knew where he was at. The Bible says he buried him on Mount Nebo. And to this day, Israelites try to find the body of Moses. You know why? That's because in Matthew chapter 17, God goes back to that mountain and he he wakes Moses' body up and he breathes life back into it and he brings him to the mountain of transfiguration so Moses can see Jesus unveiled in his glory on the mountain of transfiguration. Moses said, I want to see your face. God said, you can't see my face. You'll see my backside. But in a couple thousand years, I'll wake you up, bring you down on the mountain and I will unveil my glory right there in front of you. Why? Because only dead men can see God. So after Moses is dead, he wakes him up and lets him see his face. He sees his glory. So Moses gets to see the unveiled glory of God that he asked for thousands of years prior. He sees the glory of God on the face of Jesus Christ. You can't see my face, Moses, but now you can see my face. Now you can look right in my eyes. Friends, your eternity in heaven means that God's going to expose expose His glory and it's going to take you forever to understand it. So what do we do with this? Psalm 29 says, this is what it says, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord. 
in the splendor of His holiness. God enjoys His creation recognizing who He is. This is the New Testament temple. It's our body and it's our corporate body. And y'all, it is natural to enjoy the glory to your name. Don't you love it when your employer recognizes you for a good job that you did? You enjoy receiving the glory that's due your name. Well, what happens when you're unlimitedly glorious? Then worship should not be a tedious task. Worship should not be an effort. It shouldn't be laborious or heavy. You're just offering him the praise that's due his name. You're just giving him the glory that's due his name. Y'all, we have worship all mixed up. Can, we, can you agree? I mean, we have it all. You don't come to church first to hear the preacher. You don't come to meet with friends. You come first and foremost with an audience of one. And you come in this room and you say, God, I'm going to sing to you so you'll hear my vocal cords. God, you made my lungs, so I'm going to sing to you today, God. I'm going to give you the glory do your name. And I'm going to listen so I can hear your voice speaking to me because it's all about you, God. When Jesus was born, it was glory to God in the highest. And then you get peace on earth among men. Peace doesn't come until glory is given. We sing it right, but we get it wrong. It's after glory is given, peace comes. Peace don't come until glory is given. And you give the Lord the glory due His name, peace will come to men on earth. You ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Psalm 60, uh, 96 verse 3 says the same thing. You are to ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Ascribe to the Lord. I want you to think of the story of the ten lepers. Come on, team. They were all crying for God to heal them. You remember this? Remember the story of the ten lepers? They all come to Jesus. Heal me. Have mercy on me. Heal me. Heal me. Heal us. Heal us. Heal us. Have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on us, God. You know what Jesus says to them? Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. All ten of them. And the Bible says, here they are over at Jesus. Have mercy. Heal us. Heal us. Go show yourself to the priest. They turn and they start walking towards the priest. And the Bible says... That while they're walking to the priest, the leprosy on their body dissipates and disintegrates. It's gone. And they are all thinking, oh, I'm so blessed. Woo, I'm so blessed. God bless me. God bless me. Got a new car, new house, new phone, you know, new job, new God. God bless me. Woo, God bless me. God bless. And the Bible says that one of the ten stopped, turned around, <laughs> and went back to Jesus. And fell on his face to give God the glory. And Jesus said, but I thought there were ten of you. Where are the other nine? The other nine were so busy enjoying their blessing that they didn't take time to give God glory. That is America. so busy enjoying life and liberty and beauty and health and wholeness that we forget you hear this today people have so many excuses of not to glorify God even people in our church have so many excuses of why not to be consistent in attending corporate gatherings and worshiping and gathering and coming I've heard it folks for 20 years it's an uphill battle non-stop but what I've learned is everybody asks God to bless them but God deserves and requires glory. And they forget to give Him glory even while in the same breath asking for more blessings. 
Far too many Christians want an appetizer and not the full meal. Did you know there's two ways to make something bigger? You can magnify it, but you're not actually making it bigger. When you magnify it, you made it look bigger with the glass that you're looking through. Or you can get closer to it because the closer you are to an object, the bigger it is. And the further you get away from the object, the smaller it gets. It's really the same size. You just change your location. So we should magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me, the psalmist said. Give the Lord the glory to his name. You can't make him bigger, but you can look at him in a bigger way. Or you can get closer to him to see how big he is. And the way you magnify him is through worship. And the way you get closer to him is through ascribing to the Lord the glory to his name. And we are to be like the moon. What does the moon do? It reflects the light of the sun. And the glory of God continues to grow on you. One thing you're going to need to know, listen, is God's going to get glory out of you whether you want it or not. Because he created the world for his glory, he'll get his glory. This is what C.S. Lewis once said about glory. Look at this quote. It says, for you will certainly carry out God's purpose. You'll give him glory however you act. But it certainly makes a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or serve like John. God's going to get the glory out of your life. It'll be through your betrayal and your hatred towards him. You can give God glory voluntarily or mandatorily, but it's your choice. You will mandatorily give it. There are no atheists in hell, friends. Every atheist in hell has to glorify God and surrender to his confession. You're going to give God glory voluntarily or mandatorily. And God says it's our choice. I'm going to come and I'm going to voluntarily ascribe to the Lord the glory that do his That's what we do. How do we participate in the temple? We ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. We reflect back to God as the image of his glorious attributes. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.